What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of Podmosh. Today's a little different. Um, this is something I do every so often, and I will be doing every so often, um, something called an idea break. And this is something to spice up the show a little bit and also to, to help me even learn some different things. One of the things I came across was something called the information catastrophe. This is an article on, on uh, inverse.com where an author, uh, it is... Sarah Wells, she reviews this research study um, talking about the information catastrophe actually as a fifth state of matter. So it's actually how, well, let me just read it to you. It's pretty cool. Um, Elementary school science teaches us that there are four types of matter, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. But a new theoretical study says that the fifth form of matter, that there has been a fifth form of matter lurking right under our noses. Now, this could cause a worldwide crisis if left unabated, this researcher says. And this this proposed fifth form is called information. Pretty interesting. So in a new study... Researcher Melvin Vopson predicts that the weight of this information could equal that of half the Earth by the year 2245, creating what the study calls an information catastrophe. But before we cower in the face of this new singularity, there are a few important caveats to consider. In the findings published on Tuesday, which was this this is a while back uh, in 2020, in the Journal of AIP Advances, Vopson, who's a senior lecturer in physics at the University of Portsmouth, turns to a thermodynamics principle proposed by physicist Rolf Lendauer in 1961 to explain the relationship between bits, which are the tiniest parts of information that make up everything from how we send text to how quantum computers are coded and energy. In a nutshell, Landauer proposes that destroying a bit of information requires a comparable dissipation of energy. With this principle in mind, it stands to reason that the creation and destruction of more and more bits of information would require the use of more and more energy. And this is precisely the problem, says Vopson. The growth of digital information seems truly unstoppable, Vopson explains. According to IBM and other big data research sources, 90% of the world's data today has been created in the last 10 years alone. In some ways, the current COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated this process as more digital content is used and produced than ever before. Now, to do this, we have to calculate the total mass of information. According to IBM, we collectively create 2.5 billion gigabytes of information every day on Earth. And because each byte is comprised of 8 bits, this is equivalent to 2 times 10 to the 19th bits. For a whole year, this is equivalent to 7.36 trillion bits. That is a lot of information. Vopson argues that the creation of this much data is only expected to increase in the coming decades and centuries as our lives become are becoming increasingly digital. The question is whether or not we can sustain this influx. With estimated growth rates per year of 5%, 20%, and 50%, Vopson estimates that the total number of bits created could match the total number of atoms on Earth as soon as 2170. And in slightly less time, just 130 years, Vopson estimates that energy requirements for information alone will be equivalent to total power consumption on Earth today, which includes industrial, transportation, and domestic energy. That's insane. This problem goes beyond energy alone. 
Vopson says, he also postulates that information can move between states of mass and energy just like any other type of matter. Should this assumption be true, it could mean that the sheer amount of energy required to produce this data could be equated to mass as well. In fact, Vopson estimates that information alone could equal half the Earth's total mass by 2245. But there's a catch. These assumptions were proposed by Vopson himself in 2019 and have yet to be experimentally confirmed. Vopson tells Inverse, which is the article I'm reading, that he's still optimistic that it will be proven correct based on the scientific theories he draws from. Since, this is a quote, since both special relativity and Landauer's principle have been proven correct, it is highly probable that the new principle will also be proven correct, although it is currently just a theory. Vopson says. And should this principle be confirmed, Vopson says it could be a huge could have huge implications for the study of physics, particularly cosmology. The mass energy information equivalence principle builds on these concepts and opens up a huge range of new physics, especially in cosmology, he explains. When one brings information content into existing physical theories, it is almost like an extra dimension to everything in fix in physics. To store all this data, Vopson says that technology will need to be developed beyond the simple magnetic or optical hard drives we have today. Instead, it could be stored on non-physical entities like photons. So are we in trouble? That's the big question here. Vopson's paper doesn't, doesn't touch much on what this energy saturation would mean for the end of days or how we can avoid it. Still, he tells Inverse that this new singularity isn't necessarily a bad thing. Instead, it could represent a new form of evolution towards a transhumanist future. Oh boy. We are literally changing the planet bit by bit, Bobson says. This is the invisible crisis because the effects are not yet visible. That's pretty insane. <laughs> All that to say, you know, we do store a lot of information, and this is the first article that I've seen that actually postulates uh, uh, issue and presents a possible solution. Really cool. Another article I want to bring up is uh, something called resilience. And this, I found this abstract on frontiers.org, which is a, it's one of my favorite journals to look at because it's from, in my opinion, it's kind of leading uh, the spearhead of science and a lot of cool new ideas, which the, the idea of resilience isn't really a new idea. It's just something that I've kind of dove into recently. So this article, this abstract on Frontier was written by a group of a team of researchers um, on the behavioral behavioral neuroscience is the journal on, on Frontier. You can look at it. It's called Understanding Resilience. So let me just read it out to you, or at least part of it. I'm going to talk about the abstract and then jump down to the results and summary discussion. Resilience is the ability, ability to adapt successfully in the face of stress and adversity. Stressful life events, trauma, and chronic adversity can have a substantial impact on brain function and structure, and can result in the development of PTSD, depression, and other, other psychiatric disorders. However, most individuals do not develop such illnesses after experiencing stressful life events and are thus thought to be resilient. Resilience, at, resilience as successful adaptation relies on effective responses to environmental challenges and ultimate resistance to the deleterious <laughs> effects of stress. Therefore, a greater understanding of the factors that promote such effects is of a great relevance to what we do. 
This review focuses on recent findings regarding genetic, epigenetic, developmental, psychosocial, and neurochemical factors that are considered essential contributors to the development of resilience. Neural circuits and pathways involved in mediating resilience are also discussed. The growing understanding of resilience factors will hopefully lead to the development of new pharmacological and psychological interventions by enhancing resilience and mitigating the untoward consequences. I'm going to jump to the bottom. Talk a little bit about the summary. Here we go. Resilience is a complex multidimensional construct and the study of its neurobiology is relatively young area of scientific investigation. Multiple interacting factors, including genetics, epigenetics, developmental environment, psychosocial factors, neurochemicals, and functional neural circuitry play critical roles in developing and modulating resilience in an integrated way. For instance, genetics and epigenetic factors interact with each other and determine the biological characteristics and regulation of neurochemicals and receptors. Environmental factors influence these characteristics and regulation processes through gene and environmental interactions through development, contributing to adaptive changes in gene regulation, plasticity in the growth and modulation of neurocircuits, and the shaping of psychological factors and behavioral endpoints that underlie the manifestation of resilience. Basically, you're... I think that's what what this is basically saying is the outward environment, everything that affects your outward uh, life, weather, uh, your socioeconomic status, how you're brought up. These are all things that contribute to resilience. That's all this is saying. And this article is just trying to point to the idea of maybe one day quantifying resilience, like putting into a mathematical equation where, okay, A plus B equals this factor for you being resilient or non-resilient to stressful life events. So imagine you lose your house or you lose a family member who's really close to you. Um, How you react to that is the study of resilience and how you can bounce back from that is also the study of resilience. Um, Something like even a natural disaster. So imagine a hurricane hit your entire area. Some people never recover. Um, I think we've all heard stories or know people who terrible life events have occurred to them. I mean, terrible, right? But how they respond is the study of resilience. Some people, unfortunately, can't get out of uh, the mind trap that has occurred and had now has developed depression, anxiety, PTSD, ASD, all these just terrible uh, diseases, mind diseases, um, but just don't have a way to get out. And this is the study, a topic of how that person got to be that way in a, in a quantifiable way. And I continue. Let's see. Our growing understanding of the neurobiology of resilience has significant implication for the prevention and treatment of stress-related psychiatric disorders. It kind of talks about um, just a list of that. Um, then it also t- touches on the child aspect of resilience. So all that to say, guys... Um, How can we as a community or as a family unit or as a couple or as an individual be resilient to life's challenges like COVID? You know, COVID smacked billions of people around the world. Um, Some people will never recover. Some people use it as an opportunity to further their endeavors. Some people use it as a growing strength to sharpen their own skills. However, some people have lost everything. Um, how can we society push those endeavors, push those ideas, I guess, to increase our resilience as 
entire nation or as an entire city, whatever that metric is for you, you know, adding things, simple things on managing your mind, managing, um, your, the core of who you are will really help in a lot of these ways. And also understanding the root causes of some of these insecurities, some of these, uh, reactions that occur whenever hard times fall upon you, um, me as well. Um, I'm, that's something I'm learning currently. So something to think about, um, you know, keep that idea in mind and maybe we can dive further into it one day. Maybe I can get one of these guys on here to talk about resilience. Who knows? Anyways, thanks for thanks guys for listening to today's episode. This was short episode, but it's probably good. All my other episodes are like you know, hour and a half, two hours. So take a little break uh, in this short episode, and I hope you all have a good week.